across the UK, online and on DAB. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Shaking up the afternoon with three hours of original current affairs conversation, unfiltered comments and irreverent opinion. Distinctively different conversation that's always right on target. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. On today's podcast, we discuss the government's decision to let Huawei continue building its 5G network, alleged backdoors and all, despite pressure from the US to block the firm. Hmm, Betty, Joe Pasquale popped by to tell us why he won't be uttering that famous catchphrase when he takes some mothers to have them on tour later this year. But we kicked off the show by looking at the Grenfell Inquiry, where those responsible for cladding the tower where 72 innocents lost their lives stand accused of passing the buck. I think the first question has to be, with everyone passing the buck and saying it wasn't our Mm. fault, Governor, it was theirs, do you think we'll ever get to the bottom of who is to blame for this appalling tragedy? Well, I don't think it's going to be any single one person. I think the, the independent experts and some of the inquiry experts have been clearly indicating that there might be a root cause and common cause failure with the government guidance to the building standards, and then it's been compounded by mercenary or unscrupulous manufacturers. We are now seeing the ensuing bun fight where everybody's passing liability and apportioning blame to each other and quite staggering statements and evidence being produced by, by key parties to say that certain manufacturers may have known about this for a period of the time. And we need to remember this isn't just Grenfell, it's hundreds of yeah. other blocks up and down the country, and it's a global issue as could well. You, could, you, could you sort of explain, again, in sort of baby steps for us? Because I, I'm very familiar with the tower blocks and the cladding. I've got friends who live in them and they've had the cladding and the cladding taken off. And I just wonder, for people who aren't aware of it, if you could explain, it, it seemed to me that there's sort of rails that fitted onto the outside of the building and then the cladding is fitted to that, is, is broadly what I've seen, a sort of railing system that's stuck on the side of the blocks and then the, the cladding panels are put on top. Where is the room for excuse? Where is the room for blame? Somebody makes the cladding, somebody uh, makes the the rails that that are banged up on on, on the outside, and somebody fits them. So as far as as I can see, there's three areas, the cladding, the rails, and the fitting. How How is there room for people, guilty people or responsible people, to fall down the cracks of those three premises? I think there's a more fundamental step with the base regulations and the base building standards guidance that comes from government. There are inherent loopholes which allowed manufacturers potentially to explore those and allow fire hazard products onto the market. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. If we think back to the Balconies fire, a building under 18 metres clad in timber and a very ferocious fire, it was a compliant fire hazard. The government does permit those. But this has happened in a high rise and the government is now trying to rewrite the definitions of what the guidance said and many independents, including this one, does not buy it and are arguing that the root cause is with government. Then we've got to move forward into the project stages where a manufacturer has produced a product, had it tested, had fire certificates issued on it and then people on the project saying, well, that is a fire certificate, we'll use that for this particular occurrence But then today, we have found principal project parties from the fire engineer, the architect, the cladding manufacturer, the insulation manufacturers, 
all identifying additional fire hazards, exactly. which are potentially a portion to this tragic incident. So it's not just a single failure, but a range of compounding failures. And if we look towards an across-building inquiry in Australia, the judgment was the apportioned blame to the project parties, the, the assigned percentage of blame okay. and culpability. And it's now being appealed. It's now playing out in civil and criminal prosecutions as well. And that is where we need to look upon where Grenfell is going next. Can I, can I ask another question? Again, I think I know the answer to it, but some of the listeners may not. Why clad buildings? Uh, I mean, the, 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 the Chalcots, the, the tower blocks near me, They've been around, I've lived in the area 25 years, they've been up for 20 years longer than that without cladding, and then suddenly, out of the blue, uh, there's workmen putting cladding on. No, no one asked for it, it was just put on the, on the building, and I just wondered if you could tell us why. Well, there's a number of reasons. One is traditional heavyweight construction doesn't perform well in a cold, damp, wet climate that we have in the UK. Therefore, under the Kyoto Protocols, energy reduction, environmental issues, we try and overclad the buildings to improve thermal performance, heat retention during the winter months, cooling during the summer months. We also try to address issues such as condensation, damp and mould, which is endemic in many of the tower blocks. Cladding was seen as the golden solution to environmental issues, energy reduction, damp, mould and, and other issues, and it's been tried and tested. And there are safe systems out there, and one of the things being argued today, did the manufacturers know that their systems were unsafe, did they buck the loopholes in building standards in certain countries, and then did that lead to um, project principals adopting the technologies which resulted in Grenfell and hundreds of other buildings just with ACM, and expanded polystyrene insulation. And now the government is accepting there is an additional problem with high-pressure laminates. That's a wood or a paper-based pulp. And then, but they're refusing to test other systems. Refusing, and sorry, refusing to test other systems. Why would that be? Well, what they've said is we know of the fire safety hazard issues. We don't need to test any further. We are actually prohibiting... Uh, putting prohibitions on the use of right. anything other than limited or combustible material. But what we're saying is you need to test these other systems. You need to release funding for high-pressure laminate. You need to release funding for expanded polystyrene system or admit that they need replaced as well yeah. because everyone in the housing sector is in holding patterns saying we can't really afford to replace this. We know there's an issue. We're waiting for government mandate direction. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. 5G involves, I look this up, I look this up this is, it involves sliced connectivity where essentially you are provided with a high-speed link to the internet that is as reliable and as secure as your hardwired internet connection, your ethernet connection. It means it can revolutionise things like smart cars because the data that would be needed to stop them crashing into one another and crashing into people could not be interrupted. 
unless, of course, there were bad actors and back doors. Which brings us to the UK's relationship with Huawei, which many commentators say is basically our way of getting 5G on the cheap. The downside is, for our new friends in America, of course we're going to be looking towards more and more as we seek trade deals, our friends in America are deeply concerned about uh, the trap doors that Huawei may have built into uh, their various softwares for this 5G network. Huawei insists there are no trap doors and of course we believe them, don't we? Sam Armstrong joins us. He's head of communications at the Henry Jackson Society Foreign Policy Think Tank. Do you believe them, Sam? <laughs> well, I, I mean, Huawei is... The first thing to know about Huawei is it's basically a branch of the Chinese state. Um, it's 99% owned by a union, and in China, all yeah. unions are part of the state. Yeah. So when we do a deal with a company like Huawei, we're taking a risk. We're putting some trust and we're putting our faith in them. The question comes down to, really, are we prepared to put our faith in the Chinese state? Well, is it always the other question um, about the cost of our 5G network. I was talking to my wife last night that I bought a, excuse me, I bought a, a small sort of CCTV in-house camera online. And I was struck, the one I bought only cost £20. Um, it was a Chinese-made smart camera. The cloud that it tapped into, I had no control over. And I let, read later online, people reporting they saw the camera moving of its own volition towards their breastfeeding partner. So I suddenly realised that this camera may come with um, unexpected uh, side effects. But a similar camera made by a, a more reliable manufacturer was costing over £150 at the time. So I suppose, Sam, that my little microcosm... You buy a camera that's dirt cheap, but maybe it comes with a risk, or you spend an awful lot of money on a, on a seemingly unbreakable system. But then, Sam, even... I mean, we've got the US that stands accused of, of meddling and interfering in elections. Russia does, everybody's. Israel does. Can we trust anybody's network, anybody's tech? Well, so the big difference is just how much we're going to be relying on uh, 5G. I, I don't doubt that your camera at home is quite, serves some kind of purpose other than uh, staring at people who are breastfeeding. But, but 5G is going to be really crucial. I mean, really, yes. really crucial. Within about 10 years, 60% of trades in the city are going to be taking place over the 5G network. Yeah. So the biggest worry with 5G is not that someone is going to hack into it or watch you or do anything else. The biggest worry is that they're going to just turn it off. And experts are clear that the manufacturer will always be able to turn off the system. So say, for example, in about 15 years' time, the UK gets into a dispute with China. It's not impossible. Not that tensions are rising. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we send a ship sailing through the South China Sea to stop them invading Taiwan or whatever. And then like that every single aerial in the city of London goes down, not for an hour, not for two hours, but for 24 hours. The, the, the whole economy would be gridlocked instantaneously. So it's such a critical part of our national infrastructure that the risk profile just raises massively. I was going to say, but one might argue that just moving towards 5G is going to bring, just as the way you, you, you've described it, it's going to bring potential risks with it because so much is going to be reliant on it that any interference with that network could have catastrophic results. Uh, absolutely right. And that's why we're going to have to make sure when, when we do build our system, and, and by the way, I don't think we're going to be getting anywhere near 35% of Huawei tech um, in the end, but we have to make sure we use lots of different providers. And, and the, the great scandal of this, the biggest scandal of all, is that for about 20 years since 5G technology has been in the offing, 
the West has just been overtaken, partially because uh, China has stolen intellectual property, so all of the good ideas get nicked before they come to market, partly because they've been subsidised, and, and partly because Western companies have, have completely died out on this. I mean, it's worth saying the British you, invented so, radio. I was going to say, what you're saying, Sam, is, is essentially that it's difficult to buy the tech from sort of reliable blue-chip suppliers. Well, so you have got Nokia and Ericsson, who are both Scandinavian firms, very good firms. You've also got Cisco based out in the States, who are talking about launching a product later uh, this year or perhaps next. Uh, but we're much shorter. About 10 years ago, we had about 12 providers. Now you're down to three, perhaps four that you can choose from. Now, that is a risk. And it's basically happened, and along with a number of areas, because the world's economy has got so globalized. Um, uh, the, the number of companies that can provide anything shrinks, but also because the Chinese government has, has rigged the system in order to allow its companies to rise to the top. So I'm still sitting here thinking, what about the cost differential? From what I'm, I've been hearing, because they've already started putting 5G antenna up, so we're already committed financially, to, to, we're already in. Do we know how much more expensive going to a different system might be at this late stage in the game when we're actually building 5G? It's estimated to be 30% more expensive to build with Nokia and Ericsson. Let's get the Nokia and Ericsson. That's me. I, I mean, I know it's going to be 30% is going to mean in terms of billions, but uh, it doesn't seem so great a price for the safe, the sort of security, the security that, that would come with it. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. No, see, this is a whole thing. Everybody has a pleasure <laughs> to do more Betty. We started out, we worked on the script for about two years and we had three workshops in that period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it worked, it's a very long involved story. Basically, I was doing some of us, I was doing, I was doing Spam a lot in the West End and the director, excuse me, I'm not even ignoring you, I think. Um, uh, the director of Spam a lot said to me, you're like Frank, real Frank Spencer, because I plugged my fan in, I rewired it, it blew up, you're like, you're like Frank Spencer. And I went, yeah, I am. And then he had a light bulb moment, he went, have you ever thought of doing it? He said, no. We contacted the re- original writer, Brain Allen, who's nearly 80, lives on the Isle of Wight, works out he's been a fan of mine for 30 years, been buying tickets to see me every time I go to the Isle of Wight, and he lets us have the rights. So what's great about it, we have the rights, we rent them off him, lease the rights off him, and in my contract with him, he said... um, there's not many people who can play this part. So in my contract with him, in our contract with Raymond Allen, the only person allowed to play Frank is me. So no-one else can take the role on because he, he loves me this much. But don't ask me why, but he does. So we took it on. With his help, we, we come up with this original script. It's not just four episodes. A lot of people do this transition from yeah, television yeah, to stage yeah, 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 a couple yes, of episodes yeah. on. And this is not this is a whole new um, reinvention of it. It's not even a tribute. It's a reinvention of it. Is it, it a play? Yes, yeah, a play. Yeah, it's yeah, all okay, about yeah, yeah. Frank getting on the telly, basically. He's doing a talent show. still set in 1974. But even though... the Set in '74. It's quite a contemporary script. It's got the laughs that you would, would expect from a comedy of today, which it right. is. And we worked out very early on the only way to make it work was not do an impression of Michael Crawford. Take mm. out all the all Betty's. Take out all that <laughs> all of that gear. And because the reason that worked so well for Michael, because it was Michael, that's yes. his personality. So the only way to make it work was to put my personality into it and take it as an acting job rather than just me going out as the div that I normally am and working it as a proper actor. And it's taken us it's two years to get mm. it to this point. And it's gone. We, we had no business at all oh, the first I can't couple get of weeks. He's still this doing old Betty for us. We, 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 <laughs> took, it all, we took it all out. <laughs> no, but it's come from. Yeah. Total accident and Complete chance. Complete accident. And we, we had, no, so you, you had an accident and somebody said you're like Frank exactly Spencer. Like Frank Spencer. And then a couple of weeks <laughs> in, in the tour, um, Quinton, let's come to see the tour, gave us uh, 
yes, the best review we've ever had in our life. And the business took off, and, it, and we've never looked back since. But we, as you said earlier, the stunts in it, we, we said we've got to... Because the, the famous one, like, hanging on the back of the, the bus. Back, and yeah, the, yeah, we had loads of stuff written which wasn't possible to do on a, on a tourist on stage, stage version. Yeah, yeah. So the ones we do do, we've got the whole set falls apart by the end. The whole house is a, <laughs> is, is a wreck by the end of it. And we have a big, big stunt at the end where I have to fall down this uh, whole flight of stairs, about 20 feet up, and I literally have to throw myself down. We had a stunt man in on the first day to show us how to do it. So what you want to do is grab all this here, do this, roll down this here, oh, do yeah. this, do that. And of course, he did it once, and he caught his, his privates at the end of the... Um, at the end. Oh, and he got up, he got up, he went, oh, oh like he was wincing. Like, he did, yeah, he did, oh, he's wincing. I went, you all right? He went, yeah, yeah. I said, you catch yourself? I went, yeah, a little bit, but you'll be all right. I said, you're a stunt man, you've done it once, I've got to do it 168 times. And he went, yeah, you'll be all right. And that was it. But the, the, thing, the, the thing that really works is it's it's um, it's a love story between Frank and Betty yeah. is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's a lot of truth in it, there's a lot, a lot of pathos in it, and there's a lot of heart in it. Why... Why did it run and then sort of disappear from our oh, screens? Well, Michael just didn't want to do it anymore. Michael that, Crawford lot, wouldn't do it yeah, anymore. What, there was a lot of people think it was hundreds of episodes. It wasn't. I think there was only 18 episodes yeah, all it's told. It's fascinating. Audiences of over 20 million, by the way. Yeah. Massive audience. Uh, they did four, four Christmas and Easter specials and 18 episodes. And before, a lot of people don't know, when it first uh, first came on, before Michael got it, it was off to, to Norman Wisdom. Norman knocked I it back. This, yes, and he it. said it was too stupid for him. And Norman say it's too stupid for Norman, right? So then they offered it. This, this one, this is a real uh, curveball. This one, they offered it to Ronnie Barker. And Ronnie said um, it's too physical for him. Michael was doing something at the BBC at the time, and he got the job, and that was it. It's amazing how some of these sort of iconic comedies, how few episodes. The young ones, which I thought yeah. was hundreds and hundreds. What's, of, what's it? 12. I know. 12 what, 40 episodes. 40 Towers? 40 Towers. I know, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it just blows my mind, because yeah. it... You, it but if you look at it now, if you still look at it now, you know, 40 years later, it still holds its own. Completely. It's funny. And this is what the beauty of this is. Well, it's, it's, comedy, it's just classic comedy. Yeah, it it's is. Just it's just knock about for What about taking the character from the stage back onto the well, small screen? Well, this is screen. what we're hoping... No, this is exactly what the next step is. We're trying to get it in the West End. We've got some meetings with producers that we speak at the moment to put it into the West End. So from the back of that is take it back on the telly again. But you're going on a six-month uh, tour of the regions. Yeah, right, we're doing six months over here, and then it looks like we might be going to Australia as well, West End, and then get it back on the telly is the ideal and if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio.